In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Victory Playoff Friday. I'm here with Jack Duffin and Ian Wright Wright. Guys, I've had no sleep. How are you guys doing? I'm doing fine. Um, I, I don't mind these primetime games. I get like two hours sleep before the game, um, get like three, four hours sleep afterwards. It's it's beautiful. Um, cannot complain. We we should do Thursday nights every every week because then I can enjoy Sundays more. So uh, if there was the option, I would 100% take that. Yeah, I think I was in bed before. Our, the only person I think that was in bed before me was Joe Flacco. So absolutely. Game ended about 10 o'clock central time and you know, the one thing I think that gets slept on a lot is in living in the East Coast for all those years and then coming to the central time zone, it is just next level. The game starts at seven. It ends at 10. You're in bed by 1030. None of those night games go too late. I think California is too much. Like, I don't want a game starting at five. That's too early. Seven, almost perfect. Sit down. Kid goes to bed, get the dinner. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I mean, Paul, we're going to the playoffs. We're going to the playoffs, Paul. We're going to the playoffs. Yeah, I can't believe it, to be honest. Um, oh, I did some I research. I did some research. This is the third time in 20 years. Is that correct? Uh, they made the wild card in 02. They lost to the Steelers. They beat the Steelers in the wild card in 2020, and then lost to the Chiefs. So, yes, this will be the third time since they came back as a franchise. Second yeah. time since being on uh, the podcast, by the way, just for the record. So obviously, lo- you know. Um, here's a question, guys. Is there anything we can do to lose the fifth spot? Apparently not. Apparently that is locked in. Um, so worst case scenario, we have the fifth spot. I don't think so. I thought I saw that there's this crazy scenario. Miami has to lose to Baltimore and then Buffalo. Buffalo has to beat whoever they play this week and then Miami and then Buffalo would win the division and Miami would take the five and we'd move to the six. I think that's the only scenario at this point, but I think we would have to lose to the, I think we would have to lose to the Bengals too. So I think we haven't clinched the five. I think we have to beat the Bengals. And obviously we have some pretty good statisticians in our audience that that'll let me know if I'm right or not. But I thought I read that the, if Baltimore beats Miami, it's still alive. But if Miami beats Baltimore, then we're locked in at minimum the five seed. Because then if Miami beats Baltimore and then Baltimore loses to the Steelers in week 18, then the Browns beat the Bengals. Ready? Paul's asleep at this point. We win the division, Paul. That That is the, the big one. So this week and uh, New Year's Eve, what, what a way to have it. So 6 p.m. U.K., uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, midday if you're in Ian World. Um, what, what's going to happen is the Ravens play the um, Dolphins. And that's the one that if the Ravens win, regular season's over. Um, wouldn't surprise me if we see a lot of benching then in that final game. 
if though the Dolphins win, then my God, that final weekend is going to be insane because if the Browns then beat the Bengals and the Steelers win the Ravens, which they shouldn't do. So Miami beating Ravens, not a crazy outcome. I know Waddle's out, but that's a very reasonable uh, result. The Steelers probably shouldn't beat the Ravens, but you never know. Final game of the season, they could be playing to make the playoffs. Um, so it could be one where it's a perfect letdown spot. They beat that them once. Could happen. Then Steelers beat them once. The division, but the Buffalo Bills beating the Miami Dolphins, which I think is probably a mo- more likely outcome for Week 18, the number one seed um, is well and truly in play, but it all relies on this game going the right way. So, Fingers crossed. I just want an insane week 18. So give me the Dolphins on New Year's Eve and let's just have a crazy, crazy. Because that final game when you, um, you're there, Paul, is going to be bananas if that potentially wraps up the number one seed for this insane season. All right, I'm going to ask. Very boring if the Ravens win. Well, yeah, no, because you'll still be probably fighting for the five seed just to, just to ensure the five seed. But okay. let me ask you this, Jack. Win or lose, it doesn't matter going... Let's just say it doesn't matter going into week 18. The game could have either a good implication or not. Are you playing Joe Flacco? So it depends. If, oh, there's a scenario where Joe sits. I want to hear it. Let's go. If the, Raven, if, if the Ravens win and we're in the fifth seed, regardless, I'm benching loads of guys. Anyone that I can bench, I'm benching. Um, I really don't care. We have enough guys on our roster to bench. We're, we're I feel out. like we're one of these college teams where all the opt-outs are there. I barely have enough to even field the team. Well, at the end of the day, it's not so much benching, but it's like your starting O-line becomes the backup O-line. And, and things you mean the like backup that. O-line that's already playing right now? Yeah, yeah, those guys. <laughs> um, and you can throw guys out there like Christian isn't the starter anyway. So uh, yeah, I, I w- well, to me, yeah, I would bench a guy like Najoku, uh, Batonio, Teller, hundred percent. Uh, yeah, poaches. Maybe those guys, but I'm telling you right now, I would play Christian. I would play. Hudson. Uh, what's Hudson? I, I would give all those guys all the reps. But let's get into this game, Paul. I don't know if you know this or not, because your Instagram video was going live at wee hours of the morning, and you were still shooting Jaeger bombs. The Browns clinched a playoff spot yesterday, Paul. They went out on Thursday Night Football. As Miles Garrett said, they were the prime time game. The whole effing nation was watching. And I'll be curious to see what the stats Whoa. come in in terms of viewership. Yes, the world, a whole effing world was watching. And they went out in the first half and put a thumping on the Jets. Second half, but at the end of the day, 37-20 was the final. Great teams are good teams win. Great teams cover. Browns covered the minus seven, over hit halfway through the second quarter, which was impressive. But Paul, what did you think overall of the game? Nick Chubb coming out, game uh, dog pound captain, smashing the guitar. Overall, as a purveyor of all things scenery and kind of pomp and circumstance, what did you think of the Browns last night? Yeah, I thought um, it was electric last night, and uh, I had to pinch myself at the end of the first quarter, is this real that we're winning so comfortably? Okay, yes, we... Um, our defense didn't really wake up to start off with, but what was the score in the first quarter? Was it 27, if I was correct? End of the first quarter, it was 20 to 7. You are correct. Yeah, and I thought, wow, this is great. Um, 
how can the Browns mess this up? That's what I was thinking in my head. But um, yeah, I was uh, I was in a in a in a very good position and really enjoying the game. We had turnover, we had turnovers. Yeah, everything was great. So uh, uh, I really enjoyed the first half. Second half was squeaky bum time. It was I a think record, that's... actually, for a game, for the most points scored in the first half with no touchdowns in the second half. You know, it it didn't shock me because when you looked at like what they were going to do, and I think the Browns strategically changed what they were going to do, and the Jets kind of just said, all right, we're not going to let. I mean, the Jets have a good defense, and the first half wasn't an indication of their Jets defense. It was kind of like the second half of that Commanders game. But I think... And I don't want to overstate this. So all of our audience members sit down. I'm, 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 don't draw exact comparisons here, but this is my point. That first half looked like one of those teams where you're watching, you know, the the Rams when they won the Super Bowl, or you watch that Bengals team that went to the Super Bowl. You watch the Chiefs when they're when they were clicking on all cylinders, and it it just seems so effortless, right? Najoku third and twelve, no big deal. Here's thirty six. Like it just seemed like no matter what situation the Browns offense was in they were able to overcome it and do it with a little bit of style we're not talking about like oh he got a hands of the face penalty there was one defensive penalty that ultimately ended up giving him a first down but the Browns offense just seemed to have everything clicking when it needed to be clicking and then you start getting the pick sixes and you have these games where it's a snowball effect second half a little bit different story I still am a little concerned about the run game as the first half Really good. Second half, not so much. But this Browns offense, to reach the levels we needed to reach, they have to get out of their own way. We have to stop turning the ball over. Yes, Joe Flacco threw his own version of a pick six. But in all fairness, that was a pretty damn incredible play by Jermaine Johnson. But David Njoku, Pierre Strong, I know wasn't ruled a fumble, but I still think Jerome Ford was a fumble. You have to hold on to the ball. You cannot fumble the ball as much as we are fumbling the ball. We are leading the NFL going even into last night in turnovers. We have to cut down on these turnovers. It's getting insanely crazy. We should have won that game 48 to 6. Yeah, it's one where I don't mind a turnover when it's Flacco driving the ball 40 plus yards downfield and if you then get the player down at that point, it's effectively like a punt. A punt um, reception. But it's one when you're turning the ball over, a running back dropping it, stuff like that. That's inexcusable. You cannot have that happen. Um, and your luck's only going to get you so far. Um, you only have one or two of them in a playoff game and it's over. Um, you're not playing someone like the Jets who have broke you as hell. It was a weird feeling last night for me because I, I, I felt really good vibes for a long time. I know it's, it's wound Ian up a bit. But it's like, yeah, they'll make the playoffs. This seems fine. It's all good. And he's like, yeah, shut up. Um, but for me, I'm just like, yeah, we made the pass. So what? Um, it's almost like it's expected, which is nuts considering where this team is. But uh, probably back as far as like the 49ers game, that was really the moment for me where I was like, yeah, they've, they've got this. Um, and it's just not stopped since. So, uh, yeah, Re- it really like a, it was a weird feeling. It reminded me of almost Chelsea winning the Premier League trophy in that 2003 2004 season when when it finally happened and it was like hey we've won it it was like yeah we've kind of known this for like three four weeks um and it, it's a weird vibe um but yeah roll, roll on the playoffs um well, but sports are sports have always been a roller coaster of emotions right and let's take this season i know paul i know you've 
been kind of an eternal optimist uh, up until recently when you started kind of submarining all of our great scores. But the roller coaster of emotions this team has put you on, right? You you know, come into the season, very high expectations, and get off to a little bit of a rocky start. Then Watson has an injury, and then you're starting P.J. Walker, and you're like, I don't know if I really want to get excited about P.J. Walker. Then Dorian Thompson-Robinson has the four-interception game against the, the Ravens. And it's like, you didn't really feel comfortable in your seat going through the 2023 season. And then he rises from the ashes, all six feet six, the Delaware blue hen. And people wonder like why the stadium is chanting, Flacco, Flacco, Flacco. It's because all of the hope, all of the expectations that fans poured into this season are being realized by Joe Flacco. And that's why the team, you see how quickly he's built trust with David Njoku, with Amari Cooper, like, Players respond to guys who meet the moment, right? And you talk about, you know, you you go in and you want to blame the coaches sometimes and say, hey, you know, like this offensive line is not performing. But at the end of the day, like the players are on the field. The players have to rise up. You know, the coaches can put them into positions to succeed. But ultimately, when you look at a guy like Joe Flacco, 38, gets punched in the mouth by Quinn and Williams. By the way, I still don't know how they missed that flag. NFL officials still have not explained to me how you watched a quarterback get punched in the face. He scrambles left and then gives it to Jerome Ford, who does everything in his power to bob and weave. It was like a Chris Berman. And then plunges into the end zone. And and he even said Flacco after the game, like, I have no idea how he got into the end zone. It's shit like that, plays like that, that earn the trust. But then in the flip side, it gives them the ability. Joe Flacco, we saw it. Cedric Tillman gave up on that little uh, post route. And he looked at him and said, no, no, no. We're going to hold you accountable. You got to try your ass on that. And I think that's why this offense has come together so good is because all 11 guys in the field, and it doesn't matter if it's Elijah Moore or David Bell, it doesn't matter who's playing the position. They trust each other. And Stefanski said it in his post game. They know that the other person has their back. And you cannot say enough to a sports team that believes in one each one another, that fights, that knows the other guy has its back. And I think that's why they're seeing the success they're having. Yeah, and I think it's just genuine. Like in the post-game interview where Flacco's talking, he's like, I just didn't expect to do it in this stadium. It was almost like you, you get some of these players like the fake, oh, I love Cleveland. Um, and he's just like, Cleveland shining for me, it's just weird. And it's like, that. that's just true. And it, it, it's so much more authentic than someone being like, oh yeah, I've always loved Cleveland, always rooted for him. It's like, yeah, bollocks for you. <laughs> after I roasted you for 22 wins. Well, did you see what CJ Mosley said to him after the game? CJ Mosley, who played with Flacco uh, at the Ravens, came up and he goes, I can't believe you're doing this in a Browns uniform. It shit's wild. And he's right because you're right, Jack. Joe Flacco looked forward to the two easy wins from the Browns every single year during his career. Joe Flacco was paid over $100 million because of how easily he beat the Cleveland Browns. Now, as they famously say, if you can't beat them, join them. And it's the great moment. Um Michael Clemens. Um, if you haven't seen the video, go find it online. He's just walking along, pointing to people in the crowd, going, F you. Pointing to other people, going, F you. F you. Um, hey, if, if he's a free agent, baby, come on down. Come on down, Mikey Clemens. Got a couple more years. Um, so uh, he was Jack, never been on the trial pool because he's old. Jack, is that a, is, is he having a laugh or is he being serious? It looks it looks satirical because he's pointing like, hey, yeah. you, hey, you right there. Yeah, no, not you, you behind you. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 not you. You're cute. Call me the one behind you. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> 
And I, I appreciate that. I mean, that's, listen, it, that type of stuff, I don't mind. And Cleveland fans will eat right into that. It's like when you jump in the stands and you're like, hey, I'm going to come after you, that fans are like, all right, I'm going to boo you for the, here to the end of attorney. I guarantee you if we play the Jets again in Cleveland Brown Stadium, that guy made a play, he'd probably get a standing ovation just because of that. Just because you, you got to have good fun with it. Because trust me, our fans lob a lot more insults <laughs> and players than that. No, and it's one that it was like no one was holding back. He wasn't trying to fight particular fans. He was just, he, he was having fun. Yeah. Um, so but no, you know yeah. who wasn't having fun in the second half was we'll, we'll wrap up the offense real quick. Joe Flacco throws for 296 yards in the first half, and throws for 13 yards in the second half. So he ends the game 19 to 29, 309, three touchdowns and an interception. Four, 12 for 64, Hunt 10 for 31. Uh, team ran for 127 yards as total. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different guys caught uh, passes from Flacco. The biggest being David Njoku, six for 134. I believe he had all 134 yards or 114 of the yards in the first quarter. So I think the Jets put Gardner on him. And I started, I think they, I think they went with the bracket coverage. I saw in a couple of plays where Gardner was over the top and they had a linebacker underneath. But overall, the offense, let's talk about it. Like, obviously, in the first half, I think we could give him a 10, even though they, they, it wasn't perfect, but it still was pretty damn good. So, the second half, different story. Paul, why don't you give us a little bit of a breakdown on what your score is since you've harpooned our scores lately. We're going to we're gonna put your uh, your tits on the board first. Uh, what's your number? I'm going to go with a nine. <gasps> Simply be... The optimist is back. I'm going to go with a nine. Um, I thought we did really, really well moving the ball. I thought the running back game was great yesterday. Uh, I thought our O-line looked great. I thought our tight ends looked great. I thought Flacco looked great, except for his crazy um, interceptions. So that's why I'm giving it a nine. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm with Paul there. Nine, I think, is fair. Um, it was one that, if that was a game that was even, go back to the Rams-Chiefs game. When was that? I remember about seven years ago now. The one that was like set records for scoring, defense, offense. Uh, it was like 50 points, something apiece. Um, if it was like that, I think they could have kept going. Um, but I think it was very much an acceptance that they went out their second half knowing the game was over. Um, one thing I'd like to have seen them do is rest the starters a little bit earlier, especially with the horrendous state of that field. It was uh, The turf was going everywhere. Um, especially when that field goal was scored by the Browns late on. That, that was the moment I was like, why is there any starters still out there? Um, because if someone would have got seriously got injured, that would have been fuming. But um, yeah, nine, I think, is certainly there um, because, yeah, I, I don't think you once the game's effectively over, you can't judge the offense on a lack of scoring. I still look at it as, as you got to play a complete game and you can't give a team in nine with what? Four turnovers, four offensive turnovers, right? We're talking fumbles galore. So my thing was, I think it was very good in a lot of different things. I thought they attacked all dimensions of the field pretty well. I thought Flacco was getting the ball out on time, um, but I'm still going to go with an eight. Fair enough. So not too far down, but when you turn the ball over that much, especially coming into playoff time, like I want to see efficient offense and it was efficient at times, but in the same sense, I shouldn't have had to think about the my minus seven money or bet in the fourth quarter. And I did because we kept them around. Like we, we just obviously gave them, the defensive touchdown, which again is a great play. I mean, 
Flacco's sitting there going, what is this guy, a pogo stick? Like, how the hell did he get up, down, up so fast? But, you know, he's a first-round pick. That's why. So I'm going with an eight, but understand that you guys are nine and nines. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, eight's fair enough. When, when you repeat four offensive turnovers, that, that, that's grim. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not ideal. And so. it could have been five, because I didn't think that butt cheek was down for four different ones. It wasn't. And yeah, I didn't mean, think about it. We fumbled, we fumbled an exchange on handoff, you know, that Ford had his butt cheek was another one. I mean, they could have had, oh, I'm sorry. I, I three turnovers because Pierre strong, they didn't count the other one. So Pierre Najoku and then the Flacco interception. So Flacco's I actually, over as well. And that could have easily been one. Not that that's Flacco's fault because it's yeah, his back foot blew out. But, but again, you, you got to take care of the ball because even like we talk about Jacksonville, right? We want to play Jacksonville, go down to Jacksonville, turn the ball over three, four times in a playoff game. You're in trouble. You're not beating any Miami would hang 80 on you. If you had three or four turnovers against them. I want the Colts. That is an interesting one because lots of people like it's Jacksonville, regardless that mm-hmm. is still wide open. They and... can't win. They're in a free fall. So yeah, the Colts, the Texans, and the and the Jags are just they are stumbling. It's like three cars without engines rolling down the hill. It's like a soapbox derby. Minshew so, Mania, baby. Woo! Oh, I, I would love to see Flacco versus Minshew in a playoff game. That may be the highest rated game ever. Obviously satirical, but no, let's talk a little bit about the defense. Uh so do you want Paul over are you gonna override Jack and I's eight and keep the nine, or are you gonna go with the eight as well? As the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. I'm very chilled right this at the moment, and uh, let's go with an eight. All right, eight. I think eight's a pretty good score. I mean, they didn't hang thirty-seven against one of the top defenses. It wasn't the prettiest at the time, but there was a lot of positives, and I think it's undoubtedly above a seven. I just don't think it's quite the nine. So now, defensively, um, Jack, what grade uh, actually, would you give Siaka Ika's play? Ian, I want to take the podcast on a different journey. Actually, oh Ian. my. Sorry, we're getting um, off of our we're getting off of our sheet here, our prep sheet. Sorry, guys. I thought you know, let's just be a little bit flamboyant. Where were you guys watching the game? I was at home on the sofa with the dog. I was at home oh. on the sofa with the dog. <laughs> Actually, I had eight random Cleveland Brown fans at my house. Random? You didn't know them? Yeah, never met them. Love that. Did you get robbed at all? No, just teasing to the people that were there. Uh no, it it was good. We had um yeah eight random people came over, and uh, we stayed up to the end. And then everyone left, and then I decided to go on Instagram live and carry on drinking till eight in the morning. So uh, I've had very very little sleep, and then today I met up with ex friend of the show or current friend of the show, ex Cleveland Brown player Joe. Sh- Showbert and Megan Showbert. Oh, you got to meet up with the shows. The show goes on. How many times have they yeah. been to Nando's since they've been into London? That's a really interesting point, actually. They have been to Nando's at least once. I know that. Yeah, they're 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 big Nando's fans. But did they have the little ones with them, or was it was it a, a parents trip? No. So the Showberts are off to Switzerland tomorrow to do skiing. Very nice. Really interesting that there Joe's got a season ski pass in Colorado, and that ski pass covers him for skiing in Switzerland for three days. Wow! So, are we invited to the chalet in uh, Cal in Colorado to ski at his uh, on his ski passes? 
No. Uh, he, he lives about an hour and a half away from the snow. That's fine. We'll stay at his palatial estate and then we'll take a chauffeur for a ride up to the, to the mountain to uh, tear up the white powder. Uh, the, only the only breaking news I got is that he hasn't got a team at the moment and he's not really in a rush to get another team. He doesn't want to sign to uh, a playoff rounds team. No. Did he mention, did he watch the game? Did he watch his former team clinch a playoff spot? Nope. He did say he woke up at four o'clock in the morning, checked his phone, and then went back to sleep. Smart man. Smart man. He did so. go to, however, I know we're not a soccer podcast, but he did go to West Ham versus Arsenal last night as a West Ham fan. Did he lose a bet? No, he's a West Ham fan. He's 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 he loves watching soccer on a Saturday, Sunday morning, and yeah, just loves it. I didn't I mean that's kind of like being a fan of the Carolina Panthers right now. Danger of concussions in the NFL right now. I'm a West Ham fan. <laughs> so, all right. Well, speaking of a former defensive Browns player to the current defensive Browns players, are we good to transition now onto our defense, Paul? Because, you know, people like it when we keep our podcast short and I do less talking. So, um, Well, it actually, at this point, actually, um, we actually went to the same pubs where we first met, Ian. How romantic. Oh, there we go. Very we, nice. we met in London. We met in London Borough Market. I was going to go into the Wheat Chef, or whatever it's called, where we met, mm -hmm. but uh, I ended up going in the Market Porter. I did a Guinness challenge, and them guys like to keep it clean. They stayed on the soft drinks. Makes sense. Well, we'll have to get them on the show here once they get back, and you know, chat about some of the former times. You know, obviously Blake Williams, his former position coach, was you know spoke very highly of him. So it was, you know, he had, he had a lot of good things to say about, uh, about yeah. Joe's, Joe's time. And I, I do owe him an apology for all the Joe Crow show or Joe show crow that I have to eat for that. So, mm. but yeah, so, uh, anyway, they leave tomorrow, but I thought I'd just give a mention, uh, let you know what's going on in uh, my li life and I'm sorry. And let's get back onto the, uh, structure of the podcast and talk defense in the famous defense. words of Paul Brown. This is not a Joe Schobert podcast. This is Cleveland Brown's podcast. Correct. Um, oh, there's some things they did say. They're still keeping contact with Carl Nassab. Is that right? Carl, yeah, Carl Nassab. They're, uh, Joe and him are like really good friends. They were like former neighbors and all that stuff. Yeah, I think like him and him and Carl are really good friends. The tight end set. Set the yeah. valve. Set the valve. Set the valve they're close to still. Megan Schobert uh, his, and Seth DeVal's wife, I think, are also very good friends. Yeah. Because if you remember, like during those years, like they lived together, like they were all in the same like apartment complex. I remember like hearing about how they that group of guys were like very very close. And the last one, he's in contact with one of Cleveland Browns players. Have a little guess who you think it is. Current. Current, yeah. Joel Batonio. Jack, have a guess. Uh, Wyatt. Nick Chubb. Oh, I'd have to mm. think about the connection there because yeah, I couldn't work it out either. But yeah, he said he's very close to Nick Chubb. Well, Chubb was drafted in eighteen. Schobert was still here, so maybe that's just why. Quiet guys, because they don't seem. Yeah, Joe. Joe's a very he's introverted as well. Yeah. I first of all, I think in the NFL, a lot of guys seem like yeah, I'm friends with Nick Chubb. I think Nick Chubb's friends with everybody. 
Like I don't even Baker Mayfield's like that's one of my best friends. So think about it to be friends with Baker and Joe Schober. Like that just shows that you have such a diversity of friendships. It's it's just a character, you know, statement for Nick Chubb, who obviously is the man of people. But anyway, so. sorry, Ian, I'd like to apologize for going off piece. See what I did there with the skin pun. Sorry for going off piece. Don't apologize um, to me. Apologize to our listeners, Paul. Yeah, I apologize to our listeners. Uh, I apologize to the listeners for being hungover. We try not to be hungover on the show, but this is definitely a uh, good reason to be hungover. Jack, what score are you going with the defense? I thought the defense did really well. Uh, there's a certain linebacker, three letters. Uh, I won't name him explicitly, but he had an absolute mare on that first uh, drive. Um, pretty much you can put that Reese on. Hall took him down to the local uh, the local dance hall and gave him a little shake shake yeah not, not his finest hour um, and ironically we've heard that he's not going to come off the field he actually missed two snaps so uh, we nearly got there the first ever game of 100% JOK snaps but it was not to be um, but he did get his sixth ever career game with 90% or more um, snaps so progress but apparently it was Tacky Tacky that wore the green dot in this game, per report. Um, and I thought he had Makes an sense. excellent game. Um, yeah, but... I mean, Tacky was playing in the middle, so It was JOK last week, though. So oh, was it? it? Okay. Apparently it's switching there, um, which is interesting to note. But I thought uh, Tacky had a fantastic game. Really interesting to watch Ronnie Hickman because there was lots of talk of naturally free. So Ronnie Hickman, Thornhill, free. And then Delpit, Bell, more um, strong safety. And then McLeod can do everything. So that was the sort of start of the season five. But um, there was questions over, well, how does it balance out with the return of Thornhill? Hickman just jumps in everywhere and plays really, really well. So uh, excited for him. I think he can step up and be your third safety next year. And probably into 2025, get rid of Thornhill and uh, pay him. So um, great performance there. Greg Newsom had a really, really good game. The two edges were on fire. Um, but yeah, just a, just a really, really solid performance. Um, I think it's one way you can't go for a 10 when you're conceding uh, the way they quite did early on. I think it, you back to that eight to nine range. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to throw those two numbers out. I'm going to see where you guys come. And then, then I might push one way or the other. Paul, you want to go or do you want me to go? You go, guys. You go in. Okay. Um, Jack, I first of all want to give Andrew Barry a little bit of uh, kudos on this one because, you know, when Rodney McLeod went down, we kind of saw that we were running that D'Anthony Bell, Rodney Hickman type of safety group. And they went out and got Deron Harmon. And for those that don't know, Deron Harmon was with the Patriots. And I believe has two, maybe three Super Bowl rings with the Patriots. And I was actually catching up. There's not a lot of co new content out this week. So I was catching up on some old Cleveland Browns daily stuff. And I heard an interview that Zagura did with him and then also them kind of mentioning his role in the defensive in the defensive uh, room, so to say. And, you know, he has this nickname of being the closer and Belichick will often talk about how Deron Harmon was one of the staples kind of their secondary. And while he's not playing, you know, a ton of snaps, I mean, he's only been with the team, what, a month now? He has added some stability to kind of that back half, right? And I do think that when you have a young guy like Ronnie Hickman, when you have a second-year player like DeAnthony Bell, having a guy like Ronnie McLeod and then saying, all right, Rodney's got to go. He's got a torn bicep. You know, we're going to bring in Deron Harmon. 
I think that is starting to pay dividends in terms of that safety, right? Because you watched even on Hickman's pick six, he's reading the eyes. He knows that they're going to try to get the ball to Garrett Wilson. He made a great read on it and Simeon threw him the ball. And then all hands on deck, everybody was blocking to help him get in the end zone. So yeah, I think Ronnie Hickman being able to just focus on being a full-time free safety, you know, let Thornhill get down in the box, kind of play that Delpit role, and then using Deron Harmon to kind of bring in that veteran leadership has really stabilized the secondary because I don't think many people are going to tell you that there's a better trio of cornerbacks that we can all extend other than <laughs> Jack, Denzel Ward, Martin Emerson, and Greg Newsom. And listen, you know, with sequencing and stuff, I'm sure we can we can prove that to be correct. But that's a that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, I think when you're able to solidify that safety room, you don't see as many defensive miscommunications as you did last year in terms of getting beat over the top. Communication's good. And when you have that front four that they have with Garrett and Smith and Tomlinson and Shelby Harris, who must have the, most, the world's biggest hands in the world because it just seems like this guy's swatting everything. The defense played really well. I mean, Miles Garrett, nine pressures, finally got back on the board with a sack, three hits, five hurries. You know, the Browns as a team had four passes defense, two by Martin Emerson, you know, one by Greg Newsom. And then, like you said, Taki Taki. And Jason Tarver talked about it. Taki Taki is one of those guys that's like, if I do something wrong, coach me hard, elevate my play. If I make a mistake, I won't make it again. And I mean, I know Elliot Wolf, and that was kind of the old regime that brought him in, but I'm telling you, Jack, he's carving out that role in that middle linebacker spot. Dan Orlovsky earlier this week did a very nice breakdown about how the Browns use these disguise, the, like a disguise coverage where they'll line up a, kind of a cover zero where they'll go flat across the front and they actually take their secondary and go flat. And then they kind of almost Ohio State band like will morph into different coverages, whether it's a Tampa two, whether it's a, you know, a two, uh, it'll be like a two man three deep. You know, and that basically saying that we're going to take the safeties and drop them back into threes and then we're going to zone underneath. So they're able to kind of disguise these multiple different schemes. And at the center of all of it is Taki Taki. So I think that they're likely that means that, you know, provided he finishes this season strong, I think they're, he's a the guy they're going to bring back. But yeah, overall, I would say defensively, the first drive wasn't great. Um, they did finish the game with two sacks. You know, they did have the pick six. So for me, I put the defensive at a nine just because when you score a touchdown like that, I didn't see any major, there wasn't really anything major. I mean, they let Brees Hall get a little bit of his, but when you're up, you know, 34-17, like, I'll let you have a five-yard run. Like, I'm not too worried about a running back getting four, five, six-yard gains. And just one on, like, you spoke about Harmon and McLeod and the role they play. And it, it, we're never going to know whether it's, hey, it's just the fact that Jim Schwartz is there. This is the first year where they've thought, actually, the roster's there. Let's bring a lot of these older vets in. Um, or it's one that suddenly they've looked and thought, hey, got to Sean Watson. This team's ready to win this year. That's a team that I, I believe in and I want to go there. We will never know what the main reason is and the driver for them guys coming in because they paid the league minimum. So it's not one where we're paying them more to come to Cleveland. They're choosing to come here. But that whole depth piece is just making the world of difference. Um, and that's one that the Patriots have built that dynasty off of because lots of people that they could get the same money elsewhere, but they want to go to the Patriots because they want to be with Bill Belichick. They want to go there because Tom Brady, there's a culture of winning. And if you can build that culture, suddenly that becomes something you can sell to people in free agency. And these guys might not stay in Cleveland long term, but if they come in here and go, hey, I'm going to have one good year there and then I'm going to go somewhere and more money makes the world of difference. So uh, really interesting to note that next year, because even where I spoke about 
Hickman and McLeod, um, Hickman and Bell stepping up in the depth chart. I still think you bring back a McLeod or a Harmon, one of those guys, even if you draft someone, go into the offseason knowing, hey, we've got six guys that are legit great. Five are going to make the roster. If we get an injury, who cares? Just options. That's the, that is the really key thing. Um, and where they, they fell down at running back. Everywhere else, if you needed five on the roster, you had six. They didn't do that in running back. There was only one spot. Now, I got bitchy about that all offseason. Um, no, I've been proof right on that one. You mean John Kelly's not doing it for you? No. He's a really good practice squad option. Um, but that's it. Yeah, I think you're right, Jack. I do think that that veteran kind of safety helps stabilize. And I think one of the things we saw last year with Joe Woods' defense is, is you know, sometimes when you have too many young guys – you don't have that adult, so to say, in the room. And I mean that figuratively, not literally. They're all adults. You don't have that you know, adult in the room to say, hey, guys, when I do this, this is what this means, right? Remember last year was like, oh, the hand signals are too hard. Like, you know, we do a press and all of a sudden these guys would drop and they're looking at him like, what the hell are you doing? So, yeah, even if you draft somebody, right? And I think if Ronnie Hickman steps up, that kind of eliminates your need, you know? And listen, I was not the biggest Ronnie Hickman fan coming out of Ohio State. I thought he was very inconsistent. And I didn't really know what position he was going to play in the NFL. And if he can kind of just be a, a cover one center field type free safety, I have no problem with that. Yeah. I think that, you know, he's going to have to develop on this, but at this point you don't have as many assets as the last year without the first round pick. You know, I think you're going to have to focus your assets on the offensive line, possibly getting in another young receiver. Um, I don't think you're going to have to utilize any picks in the secondary, right. You know, top picks. I mean, if you want to pick up a guy in the sixth, seventh round day three, that's fine. But, I mean, we're pretty deep at corner. You know, they want to keep the safeties going. Use, the, use those assets on the front seven and the O-line. Paul, what do you think? I've got, I've got to say, guys, undrafted free agents matter. And that was last night. Yeah, undrafted free agent pick sixes. That's, that's, why you were, that's why you're hungover. You saw Hickman take that in, and you were like, well, that's a UDFA touchdown. Yeah. And, so. that's, and that's why day three of the draft, undrafted free agents really do matter. I think at this point, it's you're absolutely correct. But yeah, overall, we good defense nine. Yeah, I think nine's solid grade there. Paul. Yeah, I think I, I think nine's fair. Um, special tip. Oh, here's a question I couldn't work out. Who are you going to give the game ball to on the defense? I got to give it to Hickman to pick six. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we if didn't really have any other. Yeah, I mean, other we didn't really have like a strip sack fumble or something that was like a momentum shifter. I think, you know, that early pick six kind of deflated the Jets pretty quickly because, I mean, at that point there, it was like, you know, eh. we had just come out, we had just scored that touchdown, and we'd missed the PAT, so you're trying to wrestle back the momentum, and boom, a minute and a half later, touchdown, 20 to 7. I think the Jets were pretty defeated after that. They had a little life in the second half, but. Special team, I'm going to go over six. Missed a simple kick, um, but I thought um, defensively winning the ball back on special teams were very good. Yeah, we won. I the think ball everybody knew new kicker. Kick. He was missing one. He we knew he was missing one. <laughs> I I think if we we effectively for me one two one on special teams of like hey we blocked a field goal, we had the turnover. But then we we missed a PAT, so I, I I think you can still score them a lot higher there. 
Um, Jack, you win that matchup. I, 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 how are you not giving the special teams performance a 10? We didn't have a single kick return or a punt return. They did exactly what you wanted them to do. They took touchbacks and fair catches. <laughs> I'm, I'm making a point that I, I think you can have that conversation um, around a nine here um, because, hey, it, it, it's winning that almost turnover battle of going, here's the numbers. They want it 2-1. In the same way, if wipe out the Shelby Harris and the missed kick and it's only us turning the ball over with Adams, who's great, definitely needs to come nice back, then... Um, We'd be talking about a nine or a ten, so I'm 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 in a position where phenomenal, really, really well done. Yeah, I think overall you're right. I think if you're balancing out who won the battle, the special teams, because remember we're talking new punter, new kicker, um, going up against arguably the best punter in the league, and Thomas Morstead. I mean, the spin he's able to put on those balls. I mean, it's just insane. Um, you know, the one we got a little bit lucky when it rolled right under the crest of the ball, but um, yeah, I mean, Xavier Gibson had a little bit of you know running room on some of the punts. I thought overall the coverage team was fine, not great. Um, you're right. The, the the play by Matthew Adams on the kickoff return, knocking the ball out of the uh, the back of running back's hands was, I'm not even going to try to say his name, it was like Abasanya or something, um, was great play. Shelby Harris, now I will say that was a terrible kick by Zerline. I don't know why the hell he was kicking it so low, but it doesn't matter because if my aunt had, uh, you know what, she'd be my uncle. So I would say eight. I'm, I, I would feel comfortable with an eight. Shelby Harris, last four weeks, been phenomenal. He's had more pressures in the last four games than he did the first 13 weeks of the season. That's a stat for you. Um, the he man has come back to life. And he's also been taking on a bigger role because after the Hurst injury, he's increased his snap percentage, which that was one of the things. Like, is he just limited to 40% because he's older? No, he, the, the man's balling. Balling! Paul? Do you agree? Is eight good for you? You went. By the way, just for just for all of you nine. listeners, I just want you to make sure that once you listen to this podcast, send Paul your congratulations because he is struggling as all can be to get through this podcast right now. I mean, you could I don't know if he's the Jaeger still running in him, but the man's blood is basically deer's blood at this point. So Paul Paul took one for the team because he knows how much you criticize him for being not on his own name show. So he is gutting this one out. This is a performance of the lifetime. The Browns clinched the playoffs. He is on the couch doing his best to just give the people what they want, and that is more of the Paul Brown. His best Joe think... Flacco uh, version of him falling asleep last night on the sideline. <laughs> I, yeah. saw, I saw somebody tweet, and they're like, Joe Flacco has five kids. That's exactly what every dad does anytime you get 45 seconds of your own time. Yeah, Ian, just check the sound levels because I think I did fall asleep at some point on this podcast. I've I've had so little sleep. I am running on vapors and doing the Guinness Challenge while Joe Schobert watches didn't help the matter. Best detox is a retox. Yeah, but uh, Paul, the nice part is with your sleep schedule being all screwed up, all you have to do is stay up again until like two a.m. because I think seven p.m. is two a.m. Right. Yep. Six hours? Yeah. No, oh, 1 a.m. No, midnight, midnight. Mid no, that's east. It's 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. The yeah. Ohio State Buckeyes will be facing the Missouri Tigers. So all the Buckeyes, Devin Brown, the backup quarterback, who's now the starter, DB33 will be out there. A lot of Buckeyes are coming back. They're not going to the draft, allegedly. Some of the guys that were potential late first, early second rounders are going to be playing. 
And the Buckeyes have a entire slew of receivers that always are behind the starters. So with Marvin Harrison Jr. not playing, you're going to probably see a Mecca Buka, Carnell Tate, the Chicago kid, Brandon Innes. You're going to see probably Noah Rock. You're going to see some guys out there. So for all those aspiring Buckeyes fans, especially like yourself, Paul, you're going to get a taste of what the 2024 Ohio State Buckeyes are going to be like tonight or the wee early hours of the morning against the Missouri Tigers. Mate, I wasn't too happy with some Browns fans messaging me this, that uh, it's a great day for the Bucks today. I was like, come on. This is the Cleveland Browns moment. Nothing to do with the Buc- Buckeyes. Browns have already um, clinched. Move, move on yeah, to the next. but like, I don't want to receive messages in my inbox about how excited I am to see the Bucks this evening. Yes, you do. No, I don't. This is all about Cleveland Browns. It's yeah, baby. Off, it's kicking off, Paul. We're going to the playoffs. Um, Ian, Ian, I'm alive now. Are you going to come to Cincinnati next week? It's our three-year anniversary. I know. I saw. I saw. We'll see. We'll see what I can do. We'll see. Uh, are you Are you going to go to Jacksonville? No, I probably won't be able to do that one. No. Jacksonville? We've got a bye week. What are you on about? Oh, here <laughs> ah, we go, Jack. I'll tell you, Elijah, Elijah Moore needs that bye week. So. Um, Jack, I've got a question for you before I go. Um, if we beat the Bengals, if we beat Jacksonville, just say it would go that route route. Um, who do you reckon we'd have after that game? Probably the Chiefs would be my guess. In Kansas? Yeah. Yeah. But what we'll do after Sunday, we'll do another podcast because people want to hear about your plans for Cincinnati. So we need to do that. And then we can talk about is it benching? What's the playoff implications? Stuff like that. So uh, lots of fun stuff. But we'll catch up um, Monday or Tuesday. All right, just I don't I'm I haven't verified this, but it's coming through the wire. This is being reported by Howard Balzer, who is a Cardinals NFL reporter for Phoenix, that the Cleveland Browns have signed quarterback Jeff Driscoll off of the Arizona Cardinals practice squad. My boy, Jeff Driscoll is heading to the playoffs. The former University of Florida quarterback slash tight end slash Taysom Hill guy, Jack. <laughs> Why would the Browns? Or, I sorry, we're gonna add five minutes to this real quick. Why would the Browns be signing Jeff Driscoll? Because he was on my free agency cheat sheet. That is why he is a Cleveland Brown. Um, Andrew Berry still has it pinned up in his office, I believe. Um, Nathan Zagura would n- neither confirm nor deny that question when I put it to him. Um, but no, they needed to sign another quarterback because you, any team has to have three. Um, it's just good practice. Either so on this the is the DTR spot. This is the or, DTR yeah. spot. Or so PJ Walker, because he has to go to the active 53, meaning PJ Walker is going to go back to the practice squad, right? So yeah. Or is he many, already on the practice squad? PJ Walker had to sign to the 53 because he he's going to be active. Either expecting probably PJ Walker remain on the 53-man roster. Um, so they're going to carry three on the 53? Probably, yeah. That kind of already tells you that Joe Flacco will not be playing the full game against the Bengals, right? Regardless of what happened, they had to add another quarterback. Um, I would have liked Fitzmagic as a potential option since he was in the stadium last night. They could have cheekily done that deal. Um, we could have seen Josh Rosen return yet again. Um, but they, they had to bring somebody in. But uh, I love the fact it's Jeff Driscoll since he, he was like my guy uh, this season. I only wanted to sign him as a practice squad QB, but 
I rate Jeff, Jeff Driscoll. The guy can go. run around. If, if it gets desperate in a playoff game and Flacco goes down, I just want someone that can run. Because if you're at the stage where you're calling in PJ Walker or someone like that, you're screwed. Just run. Um, get the ball and run with it. And uh, Driscoll can do that. So if you really want some fun, go watch Jeff Driscoll of Florida. Like you're right. He is a, he is an athlete. And years ago, back when I was in college, Ohio state actually had to go down to Texas and play Oklahoma state in a bowl game. And they ended up making Ted Ginn, the wide receiver, just the quarterback. And they were running reverses and handoffs because Ginn could throw a little, but he wasn't a quarterback, but they ran the offense through a wide receiver at quarterback. So Anything's possible, but yeah, he, he actually was a freak in Florida in terms of what he could do. And he's got a big arm, has no idea where it's going. It's very AR-15 like, but yeah, so this will be fun. Ooh, I love all, I love content going into a week 18 game. It's like Paul just instantly sobered up when we said practice squad quarterback. Yeah, I got excited then. So, all right. I think there's our addition. Jack's pumped up. I love it. Paul's as pumped up as he can be, still having a BAL level above 0.08. Yeah. All right, guys, I just want to finish up by saying this is now an official dual playoff podcast. Go Browns. Go Browns. Playoffs! Go Browns.